Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. Wherever you're tuning in from or however you found the show, I hope this episode finds you at the exact moment that you needed to hear it. Thank you so much for being a part of today's conversation. Now, before we get into the topic for this week, I'd like to share a listener review that came in just recently. Jonathan gave five stars and said, great podcast with actionable and bite-sized wellness tips. I really like the variety of topics and guests, and Valerie has a calming tone of voice, which is also relaxing. All in all, excellent podcast. Keep up the good work, Valerie. Jonathan, thank you so much for your kind review. It truly means the world. I love knowing that these episodes resonate with you. Now, I know I say this from week to week, but leaving a rating and review is a wonderful way to support the show and it helps other people to find it. Plus, it truly makes my day. So if you are considering it, if you tune in from week to week, I would love it if you left a rating review. Let me know if you do so that I can see it and look out for it and so that I can say thank you as well. Now to switch gears, today's guest is Dr. Marvin Singh, a triple board certified gastroenterologist and integrative medicine doctor in the San Diego area. Dr. Singh founded the Precision Clinic, a practice focused on prevention through personalized medicine, where he helps patients improve their health through an individualized approach. In our conversation, Dr. Singh and I discuss the importance of gut health and the role it plays in all other aspects of our wellness. We talk about gut health a lot, I think, in the wellness space, but truly understanding what it means and how it plays into our health overall. Dr. Singh also shares what we can do to improve our gut health and lower our inflammation, lifestyle changes that we can make for the whole family, and how we can better understand our health through precision medicine and individualized testing. Dr. Singh is truly a leader and pioneer in his field, and it was an honor to have the chance to speak with him. I know you are going to love this episode. So without further ado, let's hear more from Dr. Marvin Singh. Hi, Dr. Singh. Thank you so much for joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust today. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, I am so excited to have you on. And before we really dive in, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your journey in the world of wellness? Well, I am a, a different kind of a doctor, I guess, and I've been through a little bit of a journey uh, in, in getting to this place. I was trained in the normal fashion, went through medical school and did my residency at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, did my fellowship in, in gastroenterology at Scripps Clinic in La Jolla, California, um, and then, you know, started my career. Uh, and my first job was as a faculty member at Johns Hopkins and while I was there um, and moved on uh, from there, I started to kind of feel, you know, like something was missing uh, either from myself or from the practice of medicine. And I remember sitting in the, the basement with my wife and just saying, maybe I should, we should just open a bagel shop and forget this whole <laughs> practice of medicine because I don't know, it just doesn't, doesn't feel like it, we're doing the right thing. It feels like we're missing something. And, you know, we're really good if somebody's dying and they're in the hospital and we go in and we can do procedure and we can save them. But most of the people aren't like that in, in that situation that you meet. Most of the people have chronic issues and it almost feels like we don't have much to say for them. There's nothing that's really going to like cure them or help them significantly to improve their quality of life. And, you know, my wife, uh, being more forward thinking, um, uh, you know, in, in her life said, why don't you look into integrative medicine? Maybe there'll be something there that might help you understand maybe what, what could be done differently. And I was like, I don't know this integrative medicine stuff, you know, <laughs> you know, still, you know, pretty close minded, like, like a lot of, like a lot of, uh, colleagues <laughs> are, and um, then, you know, she went the next step and actually bought the textbook of integrative gastroenterology and just put it on my desk and said, you know, take a look at it if you want. And uh, I started flipping through it and I said, you know, this is interesting. They're talking about ulcerative colitis and their natural therapies and there's stuff on IBS and liver disease and, you know, every GI condition basically. And there are other things that you could do that I never even heard of. Nobody ever taught me. 
And I said, well, you know who the editor of this book is? This editor of this book is, is Jerry Mullen. And Jerry Mullen was my uh, one of my colleagues at Johns Hopkins. And I said, you know, and he happened to be one of the uh, only guys that uh, spent some time talking to me uh, while I was there at Hopkins. This is big faculty, so it's hard to get to know everybody. And I said, let me just email him. And so that's what started the conversation. And uh, he said, you know, maybe you should really get some formal training in integrative medicine, really learn about it uh, on a much more meaningful level. And um, uh, here's the information on the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine. And literally, it was just a leap of blind faith. I really had no idea what I was going to do, what I was getting into or anything. And I reached out to the fellowship program. I remember, you know, the, the fellowship program director uh, was joking with me at graduation. She says, yeah, on, on your on your call, I remember that call. It wasn't me interviewing you. It was you interviewing me. You were like <laughs> blasting me with all these questions, like to try to understand whether this program was even worth you, you know, joining. Um, and so I, I started uh, the fellowship and, you know, the that first week you go there in person, you meet uh, the faculty, you meditate with Dr. Weil and you learn about nutrition, hands-on. I mean, you're trying foods, you're learning about foods in, in lectures, and you're doing yoga and tai chi in the middle of the, the Arizona desert and really just learning about life in a, in a different way. And I came home and it was like, I tell people, it was like a breath of fresh air was just blown straight into my body. I felt like a different person, even if though it was just one week. And really, my eyes were opened, and that's what really kind of got that flame, you know, ignited in me and started me on my path to, um, uh, you know, healing people in this different way. Because after learning these kind of things, I kind of felt that, you know, doing this is in practicing medicine in this way is more than just being a doctor. It's it's being a healer, and that's really what I was getting into, uh, wanting to be when I started medical school in the first place. And I think I had finally, finally found myself and that really kind of reignited my passion for medicine and helping people in that way. I think that's such an inspiring story. And I found for me as somebody who's had some chronic health issues, switching over to that integrative approach has been so helpful because I think, you know, as you mentioned, I think medicine, I've I've had really great experiences when I've had maybe an emergency or something, mm -hmm. you know, life or death. But when it has come to that day to day, you know, a lot of times you'd get the same diet and exercise, which was not always very specific and didn't always necessarily know where that was going. And aside from that, if your numbers were within a certain range, then you're fine and that's it. Mm -hmm. I'd love to know how, you know, pursuing this changed the way that you practice medicine. Well, you know, uh, learning about these different modalities and different approaches really helped me have more tools in my toolbox and we have available to us just practicing in the purely conventional manner. And I guess it's important to underscore that integrative medicine doesn't forget the conventional stuff. I mean, actually half the curriculum in the integrative medicine training, at least half is, is review of, of, of basic medicine, you know? So that's the, the point isn't like, oh, you're like a holistic doctor, you do homeopathy. No, I mean, homeopathic medicine is one of the you know, modules we learn about, but it is not what integrative medicine is, you know, in general. So we learn about different kinds of things. And, you know, because different people come from different backgrounds, have different needs and beliefs and desires. And so knowing what their preferences are, and understanding that there are different tools that different people might benefit from in different settings, gives you the opportunity to help people differently and help more people differently. And that's what really kind of changed how I practice medicine. And I started applying this stuff to my own health and my own life. And, you know, I, I was overweight, fatty liver, um, had heartburn. And, you know, uh, I was just a busy doctor doing the best that I can, just like, uh, you know, most of us and didn't really think anything I was doing was wrong. Um, you know, it's not like I was eating McDonald's every day or anything. But, you know, there were certainly plenty of things that, uh, you know, were not ideal. And started doing this to myself and started getting into 
looking more precisely at um, uh, at my health in, in different ways using different kinds of tests like nutritional genetics and microbiome testing and things like that and started using that information to really personalize my own health journey and I started losing weight, heartburn went away, my liver enzymes normalized and that, you know, when, you know, this is your, your, everybody has their own personal health journey, usually um, uh, in this setting. And, you know, that was kind of mine. And that's what really gave birth to the idea of personalized medicine and precision nutrition is because I saw how uh, awesome that was in myself. And I sat down with my wife again, and I said, you wouldn't it be cool if we were able to like, look at somebody's food sensitivities and their microbiome and their genetics and you know, other parameters, talk to them, see what they, what their feelings and beliefs are with regards to food and really personalize a path for them on how they can eat and how they should live their lives and what things they can do to kind of, you know, prevent chronic illness. Uh, that would be really awesome. And that was, that was years ago, uh, way before uh, Precision Clinic was ever born. But that was really where, where the idea came from. I absolutely love that personalized approach because I think so often we can get really pigeonholed into one type of healing that maybe might not be right for us or depending on other sensitivities and genetics and all of that. I think it is such a great way to approach medicine. And, you know, so you you mentioned, so you are an integrative gastroenterologist and mm -hmm. the gut plays such a huge role in our immune health and just our overall health and well-being. And so I would love to know a little bit more about that and what role it plays. The gut is very central to whole health. I even have a slide when I give talks and I say gut health equals brain health equals mental health equals whole health. I mean, like the, the gut, the brain, the microbiome and the entire body really are really very interconnected with each other. And the gut is very important because it's not just a place where, you know, we eat our food and, and the food gets processed and we get nutrition from it. The gut is the home to what we call the microbiome the gut microbiome. And the gut microbiome is an ecosystem of trillions of bacteria that live inside of our digestive tract. And they are important because they make our vitamins, they modulate our immune system, they can produce neurotransmitters, they can help us with our memory or hurt us with the memory. They can help us with our mood or they can influence uh, negative uh, feelings and emotions too. There's so many different functions that the immune system um, uh, can be impacted on by the, the gut microbiome. And that's why the, the gut is so important. So when we say gut health is important, it's not just simply like, oh, what you're eating and, and how well your bowel movements come out. You know, it's it's really when we say the gut, we're talking about the gut microbiome because that's the that's the special sauce to the gut. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And so for for those who are not as familiar with with gut health and the gut microbiome, can you talk about some of the things we can do to improve our gut health? Yeah, that's a great question. So you know, I think one of the key things is to maybe get an idea of what is going on in your gut health. So I often will do, you know, a microbiome test to get an idea of, you know, how diverse the microbiome is so I can personalize recommendations. But outside of that, outside of doing any kind of testing, there are a few key things that uh, most people can do. And those key things include very basic things that you might not ordinarily think of as being important for gut health. But they certainly are, and there's a lot of published literature suggesting the influences on the microbiome by these things. And what I'm talking about is not just diet, it's, it's how well you're sleeping, how well you're dealing with stress or mitigating stress, it's how much you're exercising, it's what kind of toxins you might be exposed to, and it's even how much fun you're having in life, what your social interconnections are. These are some of the core tenets of lifestyle medicine, and believe it or not, these things influence our microbiome and our microbiome's composition. And if our microbiome's composition is impacted by them, the functions the microbiome can perform can also be impacted by them. And if the functions are impacted by them, then how we feel, what's, what problems we have medically, those can also be impacted. 
I think that concept of lifestyle medicine is so interesting. I know for me during the pandemic, I found that a lot of my autoimmune issues seem to be exacerbated. And mm-hmm. when I when it got down to talking to my doctor, one of the things she had suggested was spending some time safely with friends because I think she thought, you know, a lot of those things with how I was dealing with stress externally was actually having an impact on how my body was responding to things. And we we don't often think about that in terms of in terms of our health. We're thinking truly about, you know, I think the food and exercise and maybe sometimes nothing else, but how much um, social interaction and, you know, that isolation, I think during the pandemic maybe affected a lot of people. Do you Uh find that any of the challenges have changed a lot during the pandemic? Oh, man, so many things, you know, so many people have had very similar issues during the pandemic. And there's a lot of anxiety and depression uptick, um, perhaps related to the socialization, perhaps related to a lot of things, not just socialization, because um, people were in their homes more than usual, and maybe eating things that they wouldn't ordinarily eat or e- eating them more often. They uh, became more sedentary, you know, uh, just because you're at home doesn't mean you can't exercise. But a lot of people just a lot of people went to the extreme and they they, they got like, <laughs> like, the, you know, we, we bought a bunch of equipment and use that as a reason to kind of make a home gym and, and find a way to do it. But other people were just like, wow, I can't go to the gym. So forget it. I'm, I'm just gonna I'll wait, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. you know, so, you know, all these things cumulatively can impact us in a lot of different ways. So you know, uh, if your sleep cycles are off because, you know, oh, I'm at home so I can stay up late because I don't, I can wake up late or, or whatever. I can, I can alter my work schedule based on being at home. And then I, uh, my eating behaviors off and, you know, then I'm not hanging out with people or even making the effort to see people on zoom and socializing in one way or the other. And I'm not exercising and all of these things add up. You know, uh, it's it's uh, not just one thing. And when they and they add up cumulatively, then it kind of feels like, you know, your health is falling apart because your microbiome and your immune system is being hit in, in many different ways. Absolutely. I definitely have noticed even for me going back to in person in the office while I was mm-hmm. not as excited about doing that, I found that having a little bit more of a set routine and having to be ready at a certain time in the morning, I am feeling a little bit better. And that's just from a couple of weeks of being back. And I can only imagine, you know, sometimes that routine, I think, helps us to really stay, you know, keep our health Mm -hmm. in line because it really was kind of a free for all. Yeah. Altering your circadian rhythms can actually cause changes in the composition of the microbes in your gut. And those changes that are seen in the gut are similar to those who have more of an inflammatory pattern or those who are at higher risk for obesity. So you see, these things actually do impact uh, in that way. And people may think that, oh, I know sleep is, you should be sleeping good because it's it's good. You, You can think more clearly and things like that. But why? You know, the the reason why could be partially due to what's happening to the microbiome. And when you see those patterns happen, then those patterns may be influencing your food cravings and other things. And, you know, this is how kind of one thing leads to the other. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that definitely has impacted so many of the people I know in the last year and a half. And I can only imagine, and I hadn't really thought about how it could affect your gut just based off of the circadian rhythms alone, but that makes so much sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I would love to know a little bit more about diet. I think that we hear so many different things about what is the quote unquote best way to eat. I know I kind of go toward mm-hmm. a um, the bio-individuality <laughs> approach that we're all kind of different and everybody needs to, to kind of go a different path depending on what their body needs. But I'd love to know what dietary changes do you typically suggest for those who are looking to lower inflammation and improve their gut health? Yeah, you know, I actually don't like the word diet because diet mm-hmm. implies that, you know, that you're following a standard routine and um it's not standard. It's it's a like you said, it's a, it's a very personal thing. Um everybody's different. They come f- from different backgrounds um and has different microbiomes. I mean, we're we're all only 10 to 20% similar in our gut microbiome. 
And so it's, it's impossible to say, oh, well, you know, a keto diet is good. So everybody should eat a keto diet because there are five strong blog posts this week on keto diet. So that must be the way is this is how people, you know, may respond to that, you know, and it's really an eating style, uh, I like to call it rather than a diet. Um, so it's just a little bit of, you know, if you change the way that you call it, then you may think about it in a different way. And there's a lot of stuff about different kinds of diets. And, you know, I recently actually did a deep dive into a lot of the various different diet styles and what the literature says on them. And uh, despite how loudly some people may speak on certain diet types, the literature on certain diet types is very poor. <laughs> so, you know, uh, really, uh, I think it's important to understand that before following you know, blindly recommendations based on, you know, somebody's Instagram photos or something. But um, there are some key principles that are probably applicable to majority of people. And this is just the nature of our design. Really, the diets that stood out as being the most beneficial to the microbiome are those that include a fair amount of different plant foods. And um, the Mediterranean diet, anti-inflammatory diet is often talked about, and there is good literature on the Mediterranean diet, for example. I mean, the Mediterranean diet can uh, increase the ratio of beneficial bacteria versus the bad bacteria. It can lead to increased production of anti-inflammatory short-chain fatty acids in the, in the gut. And when you eat in the opposite manner, we see the opposite happening. Um, so, you know, it's, it's demonstrable in, in both directions. And so, you know, what we want to do is eat a variety of different foods, a variety of different plant foods. And the concept that I started talking about lately with people is uh, the concept of microbiota accessible carbohydrates. What does that mean? That means that, you know, carbs, carbs don't mean bread or pasta all the time. Carbs are vegetables too. I think people have a misconception about what carbs means. Um, but there are particular carbohydrates that our innate natural uh, digestive system doesn't digest very well. Uh, these foods go down to the colon for digestion by the majority of the microbes which live in the colon. I think Maybe our viewpoint on how digestion actually occurs is a little different uh, these days than uh, maybe traditionally. And these are kind of prebiotic foods, basically. You know, they go to the, uh, to the microbiome's headquarters in the colon and they feed the microbes there. And the thing is that different populations of microbes like different kinds of plant foods. So it's just kind of the analogy is like you're having a dinner party and there are a lot of different people with different tastes, but you say, I'm only going to give one dish and that's it. And there's a group of the people that are like, great, that's my favorite food. I love that stuff. And they're happy and eating and everybody else is pissed because they're like, I don't like this. I don't eat this and I have a sensitivity to it. So I'm not going to have it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, so then they're being starved. But if you say, hey, you know, I know there's 50 different people here and I got five or seven different, you know, entree choices and it, it sh there should be something here to make everybody happy. Uh, that's what you want to do uh, because then everybody's happy at your dinner party and everybody is well fed and everybody has a good experience. And so some people say eat the rainbow for one reason. I say eat the rainbow for, for another reason. And that really just means that you want to eat a variety of different kinds of foods so that you can provide a, a, a variety of different foods to your dinner guests uh, and make them all happy. And that's really one of the key concepts and what is the best way of eating? What's the best eating style is switch it up a little bit. It makes life a little bit fun. You may learn different recipes. You may experience different foods. You may realize that you really like artichokes, you know, whereas you thought about artichokes as not being a, not being a, a good tasting food, but you might find a way that, hey, you know, I'm going to try it. And hey, you know what? It's really not that bad, you know? So different foods are good for different microbes. And when we eat like that, then we not only keep them happy, but we allow them to grow and prosper. And when that happens, then we have a diverse microbiome. And like we said before, when that happens, we can perform a diverse and variety of different kinds of functions. So we give them what they want. They give us back what we want, and that is to be healthy. 
I absolutely love that analogy of the dinner party. I think that really <laughs> illustrates it well, it makes so much sense. And, you know, I, I think we can all really find ourselves in a little bit of a rut with food. You know, you have the same things you might eat every day, just, you know, out of simplicity. And I found someone recently sent me a HelloFresh box. And by the end of it, I'm like, I didn't know I could roast these vegetables. And these are <laughs> right. foods, yeah, I never would have thought of. And I, so I think that's so important. On, on the flip side, are there foods that we all absolutely should avoid? Oh, yeah, that's a good question, too, for sure. You know, processed foods, packaged foods, you know, these these foods have a lot of chemicals. They, in the process of processing them, they lose a lot of their nutritional value. So you might think you're eating food, but you're eating almost basically food-like substance, you know, <laughs> something that we eat that can make us full. Um, so we think it's food, but you're really not adding a whole lot of value to your microbiome. So that's that's an important thing. We want to avoid inflammatory fats, you know, too much saturated fat, and uh, we want to avoid, you know, junk foods that have a lot of sugar in them. Um, I have a saying in my clinic, sugar is bad and fiber is good. You know, if there's only one thing you remember, I say, when you leave my office, is just remember <laughs> that one thing, sugar is bad and fiber is good. And so, you know, these are some of the, you know, key concepts and other things that we don't think about are, you know, the quality of your water. Are you drinking filtered water? Or are you drinking tap water? This is also part of our nutrition because it can impact our microbiome and impact our health. There can be a lot of toxins in, in the water as well. So, you know, really look at the ingredients on anything that you get. And the best kind of foods are ones that don't actually require a label. You know, mm -hmm. spinach doesn't require a label. You look at it, you know what it is. It's spinach, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, if you got a box and you're looking at it and there are 15 ingredients and you're like, oh, I just thought I was getting this, but there's like 15 things in it, you know. Rule of thumb, I think they say, is if your grandmother wouldn't know what it is, then don't eat it. <laughs> <laughs> Shop the perimeter of the store, basically. <laughs> right. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, especially when you can't pronounce something in a food. It's probably not good. Right. And then that, that's what people mean when they say eat real whole foods. That's what they mean. They don't mean, you know, go to Whole Foods grocery store necessarily. They mean <laughs> eat real whole foods, meaning foods that, that, that don't really require an explanation, that, that we know what they are. They're clean. They're organic. They're vegetables and fruits, you know, they could be clean meats. Um, but, you know, if something is made in a bag or a box, it's made by a factory. If it's made by a factory, the factory is owned by a company. And that company is interested in what? In making money and making profit. Mm -hmm. And that's their primary goal. That's the primary goal of most companies. And if that's their priority, then they will do whatever it takes to make that profit. That's just the nature of business and capitalism, right? Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then if that means that they have to sacrifice putting healthy ingredients in it, they will do that. And that may be their intention is not to give you something healthy, but to sell a product, to make it taste good when it gets to your mouth, to make it crunch the right way. There are scientists who actually mm -hmm. work at doing this specifically so that people We'll keep buying it, you know. The I bet you can't eat just one. That's that's mm -hmm. kind of like a an inside joke. I mean, they they scientifically working on ways to design the foods so that you feel that you need to have more than just one. So it's kind of like a dare, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what always has gotten me when people have talked about you know moderation, which I think is important. But when people talk about oh, I can be moderate with this certain, you know, junk food. And I've always struggled with that because I think because it is designed for you to want to eat the whole bag and, you know, to buy more of it. And mm -hmm. yeah, I think um, they're geniuses, evil geniuses. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I think um, I think that's so important for people to understand is that these foods are designed for, you know, they know how many times, you know, how many chews you have to make before, mm -hmm. you know, and it's it's crazy. Even even like changing the color of it, making it more attractive for you or younger people or kids. Because um, if they get the kids hooked on it, then that's even better for them, right? And, you know, when you get these food chemicals and these colors, this is, this is even worse. I mean, these are neurotoxins. These are poisons to, to the microbiome. And so when we start eating these things at a young age, 
Um, you know, we think, oh, you know, give the kid a snack. It's easy. It's a, it's a travel bag. You know, these kind of things. Parents, you know, they're not to fault the parents. You know, it's it's easy to give, and the kids like them, so why not? But really, doing that at a young age is really not healthy for your microbiome. And and if if these habits are learned at an early age and continue. Then that's when we find out later in life, in middle age, that, you know, why do I have problems with rashes or why is my mood imbalanced and why am I uh, overweight? Why can't I lose weight? You know, things like that. These these chronic issues that come up come from a place. Mm-hmm. And, and this is one of those places. Now, I think a lot of times we probably turn to those foods out of convenience. It is something that's in a bag. It's pre-portioned for us, maybe, mm-hmm. or maybe you eat the whole bag, but um, <laughs> but it is but it is very convenient. And a lot of people think, you know, I should be eating healthy, but maybe there's a barrier for that. How can we make healthy eating and eating a variety a little bit more accessible, I think, maybe for a busy professional or for for a family, for example? Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, I'm not an extremist either, you know, having these things from time to time, eating things that we know are not healthy, like cake or something on your on your birthday. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not like uh, an extremist and say that you shouldn't even have cake on your birthday. You know, uh, part of being human is is experiencing things that bring us pleasure. And if if having some sugar or having cake once in a while brings you pleasure and it's just part of the social experience of being a human, then then do that, you know, as long as you don't have like a, you know, gluten sensitivity and you get <laughs> sick from it. But don't do that every day or all the time. Our microbiome's not so fragile that, you know, if you have cake, you know, a couple times a year, you're going to poison your gut permanently. I mean, the microbiome is more resilient than that. Um, so experience life, enjoy life, do the things that are fun in life, but in moderation and, and try to watch how often you do that, you know, because if you do that often, you do that all the time, that's when the patterns start, you know, emerging and, and the imbalances occur. The best thing to do is planning ahead. And that's what was very helpful for us uh, when I started uh, my health journey. And what that means is that if you spend the time even once a week to get things ready for the whole week coming up in doing all the prep work, it'll make your life so much easier. So what we, you know, what we do is on the weekend, Saturday, I might, we might just do the grocery shop, you know, and that's it. You know, don't, don't do too many things at one time because then you feel like it's annoying and it's taking up a lot of time and is it really worth it? Doing groceries, you're going to have to do anyways, right? So buy your groceries. And then I do this on the weekends just because it's convenient because it's busy during the week. That doesn't have to be the weekend. But so Saturday, do the groceries. And then Sunday morning, you know, get all your Pyrex glass containers lined up on the kitchen counter and have your mandolin ready and your chopping boards and your knives and everything all set up, ready to go. And just wash and chop, wash and chop, wash and chop get it all ready, you know, uh, and then just imagine at the end of that, you open your fridge and you see literally just glass containers filled with different vegetables uh, ready to go. And, you know, for a family of four, uh, on average, uh, it took one and a half to two hours to do this for a majority of the week. And you'll find that you say, oh, well, when I want to have a lunch, uh, I want to have salad for lunch. It takes you like two minutes to make that salad versus like, maybe 30 minutes. And if you're on the go and you got to run, you're not going to sit there and wash and chop then. I mean, the the time you have to eat and go someplace is the time it takes to prep the food. So then you'll just go to something more convenient that may be less healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, But if it's already done for you, it's already ready for you, then it's no big deal, right? I mean, so you put it, you know, throw it together. And when you want to have, you know, you say, oh, well, I heard him say that you should have uh, you know, of five to seven vegetables uh, and fruits a day. How do I do that? Um, because I'm not going to sit there prepping this gourmet meal in the nighttime after a long day of work. That's mm-hmm. too complicated. So we'll just have uh, meat and a potato because I can I can stick the potatoes in the microwave and 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 that's easy enough to do. You know, mm-hmm. but no, I mean if you have your asparagus chopped up and your broccoli chopped up and yeah, everything is ready to go. You know, you can just put them on the stove or put them in the oven and just let it go on autopilot. There's really nothing to do then. And you can have your 
gourmet meal in in no time. So really preparation, doing the prep work ahead of time so that it makes your life easier during the week is really key because it'll make you available to eat those foods that you know are healthy for you and give you the opportunity to do that. And when you have more time, then you can do other things. Maybe it was taking up your time by cooking. I think you've really inspired me. You know, it is the Sunday when we're recording this to do a little bit of meal prep on my own. I remember that when I was doing that more often, it was so much easier to cook those healthy meals after work because after a long day, I I think it's really the chopping is the thing that takes me the most time and probably for most of us. Yeah. And once you get that out of the way, because I would always think, you know, roasting a vegetable that's going to take forever. It really doesn't. It takes about 20 minutes. And there's no prep work. Once it's chopped, you throw everything, you know. Yeah, the hard, the, hard, the hard part of cooking is actually not necessarily the cooking. It's the prepping for the cooking, you know. Yeah. If you can get rid of that, you can save yourself a lot of headache. And so if you want to have a big salad for dinner, you know, and you just came home from work and you and your spouse are tired and nobody wants to do it. I mean, who wants to sit there for an hour and chop the salad then and then eat your dinner late too, right? Even Mm -hmm. if you're trying to do intermittent fasting or something, (laughs) you kind of get messed up on your time if you have to cook the food first so you can eat. So if you prep it ahead of time, you know, you can make all kinds of meals in, in, in much less time. The, the work is really in the prepping. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you mentioned that hour, hour and a half on, say, a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I think so many of us would be watching Netflix in that time yeah. anyway. So just put Netflix on and chop. Yeah. And you can make it a family event, you know, and, and this was actually the best opportunity for the kids to learn about food. Because um, what what we would do is, um, uh, you know, pick pick one thing, for example, and let them wash it or peel it and, and chop it. And let them feel, you know, what it's like to do that. And, you know, the smells that come from fresh chopped, you know, organic broccoli, for example, you, you don't necessarily experience that all the time. And you use that as an opportunity um, to let them try something while they're doing that. You know, if they try something especially new, um, uh, then they like it and, uh, they like it maybe more so because they actually felt like they prepared it and they washed it and they chopped it, you know? So kids, you know, are, are more prone to wanting to experience things if they, they're, they're part of this process. And then I would use that opportunity to do what we call food lesson. And I would say, oh, well, you know, cherries uh, are are really good because cherries have these vitamins. Cherries are, uh, you know, are healthy for you because they feed the the good bacteria in our in our digestive tract that help us feel better. And when they can associate that knowledge with the experience, then that's what really solidifies it in their head that, oh, this is a good thing. And then, you know, you'll find that later on in the week, they say, can I have cherries? You know, so like they'll be asking for it, whereas maybe they never wanted it before. That's such a great point. And I think that's something that, you know, so many parents struggle with is getting kids to eat fruits and vegetables. Sometimes I think when you frame it a certain way can feel like almost a punishment. But mm-hmm. these foods are delicious, and if mm-hmm. you frame it in the right way, and they get to see what they really like and how it's going to help, you know, help them grow and help their minds and all of that, I think that's such a great lesson and opportunity. I'd love to circle back to something you touched on very briefly. You mentioned intermittent fasting. What are mm-hmm. your thoughts on that, and when does that benefit someone? Or you know, what what are your thoughts? Well, I'm I'm a proponent of intermittent fasting. I think it, it may serve several different purposes, um, and I actually like to propose it not as intermittent fasting, but as intermittent eating, because when when we say fasting to somebody, it's almost like like we were saying it's that it's that negative connotation, and that negative connotation sounds like a punishment. Even to adults, adults can feel like they're being punished too. You know, you're saying intermittent fasting, that means I can't eat in certain times, you know, and that's, you know, kind of translates to a negative feeling. Intermittent eating basically means that you're going to eat within a certain window of time. If we're talking about time-restricted fasting, there are a lot of different fasting styles. But at, at, at the most basic level, what it does is kind of help you you know, manage those desires or cravings or feelings that you want to eat something late at night, um, uh, 
uh, you know, when you probably shouldn't be eating late at night anyways, right? So, it, you know, you mm-hmm. say, I'm only going to eat between this window of time. And it helps you kind of manage that at the at the very basic level. Um, you know, if you say, oh, well, I'm done at 6 p.m., then, you know, you're not going to have those uh, desserts or those chips or, or anything like that later in the evening, as you might. You might, you know... Um, drink an herbal tea or drink some water or something like sparkling water or something like that, you know, if you need something in your mouth, but um, you won't be eating. And it's kind of one way to discipline yourself, I guess, uh, is what I'm trying to say. Um, And, you know, there are also uh, health benefits. There's some literature suggesting that fasting can help us with weight loss and help us balance our metabolism. There are, you know, also some data on different kinds of fasting styles, like a fasting mimicking diet and 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 how it may reduce intestinal inflammation and increase stem cells and so you know there there's some literature to support that fasting actually has health benefits and may actually impact the microbiome in a positive way and fasting isn't just a brand new concept actually fasting has been used since uh, you know at least 5th century BC you know hippocrates had suggested fasting to help people with certain types of medical conditions so this is definitely not a new concept. I think we're just kind of coming back around to some of these uh, concepts and, and making them more relevant in our, in our modern era. It makes a lot of sense, and it's something I've always been curious about. I've been suggested to try it before, and I think during the pandemic when life was kind of weird and I was at home all of the time, that was a little more daunting. But with having you know kind of more of a set schedule now, it sounds like such an extreme, but at the same time, I mean, we're fasting for eight hours overnight mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. And when I really think about it, um, I, I don't usually eat late at night, but when I do, I'm never it's it's never fruits and vegetables. Yeah, right. It's usually not healthy food, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's usually just a snacky food. Yeah. I could eat fruits and vegetables all day, but I've I've never craved one at ten o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> What I used to do, you know, what if I do have kind of like a dessert in the evening, sometimes to, to you know, back in the day, I used to be a, a big uh, ice cream guy <laughs> in the din- in, for dessert, but uh, I would basically take a, a bowl of berries and I might put, um, I don't really have much dairy really anymore these days, but if I do, it might be, there's this Bulgarian um, yogurt that is organic and has a lot of probiotic content in it. I think it's like 90 billion units per, um, uh, per serving. And, um, it's, it's a little tardy, um, but that's because it's truly a fermented product you're having. And I'll put like blueberries and raspberries and sprinkle some cinnamon there. And I put, um, some, you know, walnuts or pecans or something like that on there, just a couple to kind of get you a little bit of that crunch. And then you have the berries to give you a little bit of that sweet and, uh, cinnamon is just nice for flavor actually has, uh, other medicinal benefits as well. Um, and that's basically your ice cream equivalent, right? So you get that kind of feeling, but at the end of the day, it's so much better for your gut than eating a bowl of sugar, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that sounds that sounds delicious. And now I want to kind of stock up. <laughs> I don't really do dairy, but that actually, that sounds amazing. Yeah. I mean, well, they're, they're probably, you know, you can use uh, coconut yogurt or different mm-hmm. kinds of yogurt uh, that could be an alternative to dairy. So it doesn't have to be dairy, dairy, but uh, that's the one that I had chosen because of the probiotic content. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I would love to ask a little bit more about your practice. First of all, the inspiration behind the name Precision, but also Mm -hmm. what what types of testing and lifestyle changes and kind of what people come in for. Yeah. So when we wanted to give a name to what we call this practice, where we look at a personalized approach, you know, the word precision medicine is, is, you know, universally used. So I wanted to do a little bit of a play on words and and kind of make it really stand out or emphasize that we're really truly focusing on the, the one person, one individual, that's you. So we added an E to the end of the word precision. And actually it is, it's actually a real word and it's, it's the Italian word for precision. So, <laughs> so, um, it, it really, it means the same, it, it's the same word, uh, but it's, so it's a little bit of a play on words. So if you were Italian, I guess you would say precisione, but 
we still we will say it the American way and and say precision, and it's just kind of a play on words so we can emphasize the O N E at the end of it. And really, that's that's what it's all about at Precision Clinic. It's all about the one person, the individual. At the end of the day, you want to know what to do for yourself. You don't want to know that. Oh well, statistically speaking, you know. Uh, people who have this problem may be prone to this. You want to know what's what's relevant for you, you know. And the only way to know what's relevant for you is to know what's going on inside of you. Looking at your genomics, your mitochondrial health, your gut health, your sensitivities, your environmental exposures, um, what your microbiome is doing, what your genetic predispositions are, you know. And even if you wanted to go to the next level and look at imaging and and, and things like that, taking all of these pieces into consideration and then looking at you as the person, because, you know, the best test is the conversation I have with somebody the first time we meet. And mm -hmm. so I like it to be 60 to 90 minutes just because we want to get to know that person really well. And that's something that's very much missing from the way that medicine is practiced uh, these days in general. I mean, when's the last time you sat down with a doctor for 60 to 90 minutes the first time you met him? Like mm -hmm. never, right? Yeah. And so, you know, that's really, we, we want to underscore that we're focusing on you as the one person. In order to do that, we have to get to know you. And taking that experience and the information we collect and then really sitting down with it all and understanding, well, what are the best things that, we can do for this person? What is the best way that they may want to eat? What are the things that we want to follow as we move forward? Uh, what are the ways that we want to change our lifestyle measures? And then present that to the person as far as what they should do or what they can do. That's what we do. You know, that's what precision medicine really means. And it's not handing out medications either for each type of problem that may be identified. It's using lifestyle measures as much as possible and using natural therapies as much as possible. If something comes up where it looks like you need a medication for something, then, you know, it's not that, that, that that's a problem. I mean, you, you, we have medicines for a reason, uh, you know, mm -hmm. so we may use them, but there are a lot of things that could be treated more naturally or integratively as well before we confuse the picture with medications, which may also bring side effects and other, you know, baggage with them as well. And so we use integrative medicine basically as the delivery platform for, for the recommendations. And this is what we call precisionomics. So I, I actually, I, I trademarked the term precisionomics because I wanted to give a name to this style of medicine. And really, you know, precisionomics is, is a brand new way of kind of looking at your health using these cutting edge tests and, and technologies to really uncover the secrets to your personal wellness. And, and that's what I'm all about in Precision Clinic. I really love that approach. I love the name too. Um, <laughs> but it's it's such an important style to look at because again, I think so often there's very one size fits all approach for a lot of people going into a doctor's office. And that's certainly been my case. I think I've been a little bit of a medical anomaly with things here mm -hmm. and there where I never totally fit into one bucket. And so you don't necessarily get the best advice that's tailored to you when you're not with a doctor or a practice that's looking into those things. And so I think, you know, it's really you're putting together almost a puzzle because we're all yeah. so different. Yeah. Like what, what is a diagnosis? A diagnosis is just a collection of symptoms that fit a certain pattern. And if, if it falls into a certain pattern, you, we say you have this. Mm -hmm. And then once you, once you're given that label, then that you're pigeonholed, you're, you're only looking at that. So like, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, and treatments and medications for that, what, you know, that are mainly geared at symptom control and management rather than addressing where the problem may come from in the first place. We, we as human beings made up these diagnoses. It's not like they, they came from the heavens and we were told that if somebody has these three things and they have this problem, you know, we, we, we put these together. And in that process, we kind of forgot about the individual person. How many times have we really said, well, you don't fit into this pattern or the, this pattern. We don't really know what's going on. You know, it's just an idiopathic problem or a nonspecific or unspecified mm -hmm. <laughs> problem. What does that mean? That means that you didn't fit into a certain pattern, so we don't know. So we'll just try some things, you know. That's, that's not what Precision Clinic is about. Precision mm -hmm. Clinic is like, 
okay, well, we this is the information we have. Let's try to find out more. Where, where, where could the problems be coming from? If we identify that you have mitochondrial dysfunction and gut dysbiosis, let's try to work on that and see if we can modify that if your other problems get better, if you feel better, if your symptoms, your joint aches, your energy levels, if, if all that is improved. And, and we go at it that way. It's, it's less worrying about the name of the diagnosis rather than what's driving the problems. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think it really is so important. I think especially for anyone with any kind of autoimmune disease or any inflammation, I think it can be very frustrating, um, you know, because it is such a collection of vague symptoms. Mm-hmm. And knowing that something is wrong, but if you don't fall into, you know, I, I always hear about the, you know, the autoimmune spectrum. If you don't fall into certain numbers on a blood test and they may say, well, then in that case, you have some general problems and there's nothing we can really, you know, at this time we'll continue testing. But when that's really it and there's no solution, I think that something like this and having that more precision medicine is so helpful, especially for those who are kind of searching for more information and not really sure where to go from there. Because I think the same advice that I might get would be different advice than what would fit for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I tell everybody, you know, everybody, like you said, is a puzzle. And so we don't know what we're going to find because nobody's looked in these areas before. <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll try our best to find all the puzzle pieces and put the puzzle together as best as we can. And um, it's kind of an adventure for me. Every new patient is an adventure for me. I like solving problems. I like solving puzzles. And this is what gets me excited because you can really uh, find out some interesting information on people and really make life, life-changing recommendations for them. I think that's so incredible and inspiring. And I know that that has to make such a huge impact in the lives of patients. Now, before we get into a little bit more about precision and how listeners can find you, I'd really Mm -hmm. like to ask you some of our rapid fire questions. Okay. Awesome. Well, one of them we've been talking about a lot, but (laughs) um, what is your top wellness tip? Oh, my top wellness tip, I guess, is is don't, don't give up. Really, you know, in in anything in life, it can be frustrating if you if you are trying things and it doesn't work out. And sometimes we just kind of give up on the process and resign ourselves to this is how it's going to be. It doesn't have to be that way. And alongside with that, being healthy or or getting well doesn't have to be an arduous process or something that's like a punishment. It it can be fun, and we can look at it as a new adventure, a new chapter in our life. I think those are two good tips when somebody is trying to kind of get their control back over their life is don't give up because there's always going to be positive momentum and there will always be negative momentum because we're humans and we live on earth. So expect that, you know, there's going to be progress and sometimes you'll take a back step, but don't give up, keep trying and keep pushing at it. And keep looking, you know, if you don't find the right answer right away, there's, there's probably an answer somewhere, you just got to keep looking for it. And make it fun, like, you know, do those food lessons, Uh, try something new, you know, and uh, experience life in that way and look at it as finding new experiences. And, you know, your life will be enriched in addition to your health. I love that. I think I needed to have this conversation today. (laughs) I needed that message personally. (laughs) Now, where would you say is your favorite travel destination? Oh, I love Europe. Um, Mm. And I can't wait until maybe the kids get a, a few years older and it's a little bit easier to travel internationally. Maybe when this COVID stuff is a little bit more, um, tamed worldwide but Europe Europe is awesome there's so much art in Europe when I when I graduated medical school I went on a trip with one of my closest friends and um, we went to Rome and Paris and London and just really experienced life and culture and um, art there and really fell in love with uh, that part of the world and so that's one of my favorite places to go love Europe definitely looking forward to traveling again is yeah there's so much to see too i mean i only saw we were there for a few weeks but there's so much more to see (laughs) it's so true if you were an animal what animal would you be and why (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, that's an interesting question. You know, I kind of think um, I identify with the elephant, I guess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Elephants are a pretty intelligent animal, actually, and they have a lot of a- empathy. If you look at their behavioral patterns, and and here's a fun fact that most people might not know. An elephant is actually like an integrative animal, uh, in a sense, <laughs> in that uh, elephants have been known to use certain tools like plants uh, to help cure illnesses and even induce labor. Um, So that was actually a fun fact I I had recently learned. And I think, I guess I'm kind of like an elephant already. (laughs) (laughs) They're such cool animals, but I had no idea of that. They should be, you know, the international symbol, I think, for integrative medicine. Yeah, I actually, I have a few little elephant uh, figures on my desk. <laughs> that's that's amazing. I, I collect elephants myself, actually. So that's <laughs> so cool to know that um, that they have that element to them, too. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're, I think, one of the top top 10 smartest animals, too. And they have a lot of, they're, they're very intelligent, and they have a very good memory, uh, actually. And uh, maybe they could help me with my long-term memory if I became one. <laughs> but um, they also, they care a lot uh, about people. and I mean, People, I mean, their fellow elephants. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, they've even been known to sacrifice themselves to save the others if the others are in danger. That's, that's amazing. That they, they really are incredible animals. Now, if you could master a completely new skill, what would that be? You know, I love music, and I listen to music all the time, even in between patients uh, when I'm just doing nothing. But I am a terrible singer, <laughs> <laughs> even though my name is Sing. <laughs> and um, uh, my wife can attest to that. Um, uh, sometimes I got my ear pods on, and I'm uh, uh, folding the laundry upstairs, and she's like, man, you are really belting it out, but, uh, you know, maybe we should get you some some voice lessons. No, I'm just <laughs> no but, you know, um, I, I guess I wish I could, uh, could sing, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it'll sound good, too. <laughs> and I can enjoy the music on a, on a different level. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I would say my entire family is just completely off key. So I can completely relate on that. (laughs) (laughs) And Dr. Singh, what's next for you on your bucket list? Oh, there's so much on the bucket list. One of the things that I would really love to do is start a foundation. I got, we have a lot going on, but this is one of the things that that's on, on our agenda of things to do, uh, hopefully at some point soon. And the foundation idea really is is geared around helping people uh, just like we're helping people now. But there are a lot of people who don't have access to healthcare, a lot of people who are unable to have access to precision medicine uh, type of testing in order to optimize their health. And I want to be able to help those people and, and as many people as possible. And sometimes uh, we thought maybe starting a foundation might actually be one way of uh, being able to give better outreach to those people who need it. I started doing some work um, as the health advisor for Bottomless Closet, which is a, a fantastic organization in Manhattan that helps those, particularly women who uh, are in need coming out of difficult situations and um, trying to get back on their feet, uh, get back in the workforce, you know, take care of their kids. And so I, I do health webinars for them for free. I take care of them for free if they need it. I help them get supplements and, and um, health recommendations from others for free as well and help them get testing for free. And that's what kind of gave birth to the idea of, you know, this is really cool and um, they're very appreciative and we're helping them. And I want to do this for a lot of people. And so that would be one of my bucket list things to do is to actually start a foundation where we can do that. That's so inspiring. And I know that just has the power to help so many. I know that there are so many barriers for a lot of people when it comes to taking care of their health and, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to do that. So I find that to be just incredibly inspiring. And I can't wait to see what you do with that. Thanks. Absolutely. Now tell us where our listeners can find you, find the practice and connect. Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty active on social media. So my my handle is just my name's at Dr. Marvin Singh, and our website is 
www.precisionclinic.com. Just remember the E at the end of precision. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And I'll be sure to link that in the show notes so listeners can find you. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and for sharing with us today. No problem. I'm happy to be here. What an incredible conversation. As someone who is working to heal my own gut health, I really enjoy chatting with Dr. Singh and I learned so much from him in our interview. I was also really inspired by his wellness tip during the rapid fire questions. That was just one of those messages I really needed in that moment. And I am guessing that may be the case for a lot of other people who are listening too. When it comes to autoimmune disease, I think that there can be a lot of difficulty in getting a proper diagnosis and figuring out the right treatment plan. So a lot of times it can be really easy to want to throw in the towel and give up. I know I've found myself feeling that way before and even quite recently feeling that way. But I think having a doctor that advocates for you and is willing to look at you as an individual can really go a long way in pursuing those health goals and improving your health over the long run. Now, I have linked Dr. Singh's information in the show notes, including his podcast, Precision the Healthcast, and that is Precision with an E. Dr. Singh interviews other experts in the health and wellness space so that you can really get a deep dive into precision medicine and, in his words, decode your personal health blueprint. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please feel free to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or really wherever you're tuning in from. We are coming up on the one-year anniversary of this podcast. It is crazy to think that, but I will be hosting a very special episode to celebrate where I'm going to be answering listener questions. I've already had a few really great ones come in, and if you would like to have your question asked and answered on the podcast, please feel free to send your questions my way. You can email me at valerie at wellnessandwanderlust.net or send me a DM on Instagram at wellnessandwanderlustblog. Hit that subscribe button to keep up with new episodes. Share this episode with a friend, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Can't wait to see you next week.